Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Great. It's really good to be together, isn't it? Yes. It's really good to worship God together. Yes. I feel as if I might be slightly losing my voice, but um, I won't apologise because I wouldn't have had it any other way this morning. It is yes. good to praise God right. together. Um, I want to extend my own welcome this morning. It's great that we've got a room full of people again after the summer. For those who don't know me, my name is Phil and I with Stephen, we're elders responsible for this congregation of Living Rock Church in Market Harbour. And um, this morning, we, we're not in any particular series, but I want to bring us a word I think is going to be important for us as we head into this new season together. I was amused by um, a guy that I follow on Twitter. He had tweeted at the start of the week, he says, Monday morning, I always go to the gym and I work out and I have all the best ideas about my Sunday sermon. Unfortunately, it's a Sunday sermon that I've just preached. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, we, we believe, don't we, that we have got the Holy Spirit present with us, yes. who is actually our teacher this morning. And, you know, in spite of the limitations in man, we, we have God with us who can illuminate his word yes. to us in a way that makes it come alive. Yes. And so this morning, we are gathering together around the word. We're gathering together around the table. We're going to break bread together this morning as part of what we do. So we can be, we can be very confident that this morning, as we gather in this way, that God is with us yeah. and he has something to say to us because we're reading from his word. Amen. So can we just pray together? Yeah. Can we pray together? I'm going to stop saying just. Can we pray together? <laughs> hmm. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is here to bring change to our lives, to give us direction, to correct us, to discipline us, to bring us great joy. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that as we read the word today and speak from it, that you will illuminate words to our hearts. You will stir us, you will teach us, you will guide us today. We thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 So, as we've already said, this is, this is a new season together. It is actually the 1st of September today, which is a little bit frightening in a way, isn't it? Because it wasn't that long since it was Easter, and now we're into September, and dare I say, the run-up to Christmas. Yay! Yeah. Okay, we mustn't use the C word in September, really, but just this once I have done. But there's some routine coming back, isn't there? We are... Uh, most of us, our summer holidays have been and gone uh, for our children. Many of our children went back to school on Thursday. Many mothers are breathing a bit of a sigh of relief in a nice way. Um, and it's an opportunity to re-establish some principles in our life together as well, in our corporate life together. Um, it's always helpful at the start of any new season to bring a focus on who we are and what our calling is to this town, yeah. as part of the body of Christ in Market Harbour. So this morning, I would like us to be prepared to make a statement before God and before one another and before ourselves concerning our zeal to serve God together in this next season, to serve his purposes. I want to say, fathers, set the pace during this season in your family life. 
in our life groups. In everywhere we find ourselves, be pace setters. Get ourselves off to a good start. Get ourselves in some good habits and disciplines. As men who are devoted to God and devoted to one another. I believe every time the church gathers, it should be completely unmissable. I do believe that. Every time the church gathers, it should be completely unmissable. And what will make it completely unmissable is if the church gathers. Because the body's complete. We're not lacking. So I want to bring a real encouragement in this season. Our gatherings together will be unmissable because we gather together. We're complete when we're all here. Because the body of Christ is present. The bride of Christ is here. What a thing. The bride of Christ is gathering. (laughs) It should be an unmissable occasion every single time, shouldn't it? I'd like us to turn in the scriptures this morning to John 13. And before we start to read, I just want to give us a little bit of context so that we know where we're up to in John's account, in John's gospel. So John 13, here's the context. We're approaching the time when Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. And Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem in order to observe the Passover celebration. And the disciples, for the last three years or so, have heard Jesus teach about the kingdom of God. And they've seen him perform many miraculous acts. They've even had a hand in many of them themselves. They've heard um, Jesus teach about um, his suffering and death to come. And they didn't quite understand it but they heard nonetheless. There'd even been some discussion among the disciples as to who would be the greatest of the disciples when Jesus came into his kingdom. If you read that account, it's quite funny because it's the disciples get their mother to do the talking. (laughs) So one of the disciples' mums goes to Jesus and says, which of my boys, can they both be one each side of you? That's mothers for you, isn't it? But... um, But there have been some debate as to who would be the greatest. And um, the account that we're reading is an account of things that happened on the same evening as the Last Supper. So it's kind of one of the first things that happened that evening. And later on in the evening, Jesus broke bread and instituted what we now describe as communion or breaking bread or the Lord's table or whatever we decide to call it. So let's read together John 13, verses 1 to 20. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Some translations would say he wanted to show them the full extent of his love. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. 
When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. This is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I'll tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. It's the word of God. We have an account here of a radical act of humility. A real demonstration of all that Jesus had been teaching his disciples. And in order that we can try and picture and understand the times, let me set the scene. Historians tell us that Judean towns were not clean places at all. Walking the streets would mean trying to avoid dirt and dust and excrement and fire ash and rotten food and so on. And at its simplest level, washing feet was just a matter of some good hygiene. But in addition to that, in the Jewish community, it was also a piece of legislation to do with their purity laws. Because no one entering the temple could do so unless they'd washed at least their hands and their feet as an absolute minimum. And here's another cultural feature, just important for us to understand in our picture in the scene. A free man would, would not wash the feet of anyone at all. A free man would have his feet washed by a slave, or perhaps sometimes his wife or child. There was only one type of man who would wash the feet of another man, and he would be a slave. And if you remember, the Romans were the occupying force in the land we know as Israel in the time of Jesus. And the Roman Empire relied upon slaves. There are literally millions of people in slavery in the Roman Empire. And at the time, the majority of them came from the Slavic area of Central Europe. I learned something this week. That's why it's known as the Slavic area. It's because in the past, that's where the slaves tended to come from that served the Romans. 
Historians tell us in Judea there were, there were two types of slave as well. There were Jewish slaves and there were Gentile slaves. So a Gentile is someone who's not a Jew. Jewish slaves in the main were men who had been caught thieving and had no means of, of repaying what they'd stolen. And they were made slaves. And also sometimes, and very occasionally, actually, men who were Jewish were in extreme debt and literally sold themselves into slavery were found to be Jewish slaves in those times. Gentile slaves were considered to be much more valuable. And that's because the rules governing Gentile slaves were far looser, far, far more lax. You see, Jewish slaves, because of some of the Old Testament laws, could only be in slavery for six years, and then they had to be released. Whereas Gentile slaves could be in servitude for their whole lives. And therefore, Gentile slaves were given the hardest jobs of all. In addition to that, the Jewish purity laws at that time extended to Jewish slaves. So Jewish slaves could not be asked to wash someone else's feet. It would make them impure under Old Testament laws. Which brings us back to Jesus. Which really helps us to understand Peter's astonishment that Jesus wanted to wash his feet. And in, in our Bibles, uh, Peter is, is saying, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? But I'm told by people who know that in the original Greek, what Peter Moore says is a stuttering, what, who, what, me? Because he is so overwhelmed by the idea that Jesus would not just stoop to the level of being a Jewish slave, but he would stoop to the level of making himself impure, the lowest of the low, acting in a way that only a Gentile slave would do. And we're reminded, I'm sure, as I speak, of, um, of words from Philippians 2, where it talks about Jesus uh, giving up his divine privileges, taking the, human, the humble position of a slave yeah. and being born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus really, really humbled himself in order to serve his disciples. And we must be careful, whilst we can look for deep meaning in what Jesus did, to miss the first and most obvious point of all. Jesus did this as an example for his disciples to follow. How do we know this? Well, we read John 13. Jesus said, Do you understand what I was doing? I have given you an example to follow. It is the most basic and obvious point from this scripture. Jesus has given his disciples an example to follow. Jesus was demonstrating to his disciples what his kingdom was yeah. to be like. That's right. yeah. The kingdom of Jesus was completely different from the Roman Empire. The kingdom of Jesus was completely topsy-turvy to human kingdoms round about. And, you know, there are a number of opinions, and I don't think it matters much, actually, but a number of opinions as to exactly the moment when the church started. 
Was it when Jesus began to teach his disciples? Was it upon his death and his resurrection? Was it when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the believers in Jerusalem? Was it this moment in John 13 when Jesus showed the disciples how to serve one another and therefore serve the world? And actually, it's a question I don't think we really need to answer, but what what is very clear is that during a period of time when the church was birthed, over those weeks and months and few years, it was very clearly with an instruction and an expectation to serve and love one another. And this was a lesson that the early church learned really well. Christians were known from the earliest times for their attitude of love towards one another, being recognised as men and women devoted to one another and devoted to God. And also their love for people in the lowest levels of society. Listen to what Paul writes to the Galatian church. He says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And you know, Paul's words... Uh, in their day would have been far more shocking than I think they are to us in our day. In fact, just knowing some of this background of how slavery worked at the time, there was division um, free and slave, there was division Jew and Gentile, there was division male and female. What Paul is saying is completely radical, turns it completely on its head. We've already seen how the culture of the day adopted different standards for, for all those um, divisions of people. But Paul says, there's no distinction. Yeah. We are all children of God through faith in Jesus. Yeah. I don't want to add to the word of God, but I do believe as we continue to outwork that, what that means in our day is there's no difference depending as to how much money you earn or what kind of job you do. There's no difference depending as to where you live or what kind of car you drive or how many children you have or what kind of family you have. There's no difference whether you are, and I'll use some jargon, clergy or laity. You know, we don't read about a church where some people are, are the gifted folks who do all the heavy lifting and everyone else turns up and does all the watching. Right. We don't believe that. Right. We don't believe that there's a hierarchy in the church of God. Right. It doesn't matter if you're a life group leader or a deacon or an elder or an apostle. We are all children of God. We may well have different roles and functions in the body of Christ, but there is no hierarchy in the church of God. Jesus said, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So how can we today serve one another? This is the start of a new season together, and I don't make an apology for being really practical in the way I want to talk this morning about how we can serve one another at the start of this new term together. I want to show you, first of all, the ways in which we're already being served by one another as we gather week by week here in Market Harbour. So here we are, first on the list. We have people who... We have people who unlock 
on a Sunday morning here and set up. You know, there are guys and girls who arrive at half past eight on a Sunday morning in order to get the place ready for the Bride of Christ to yes. gather. Yeah. What a privileged job. We have people arrived about the same time to set up PA and sound, and um, we're really thankful to them. We have people turn up to work our projector, and clearly they're here today because all the slides are coming up in the right order. So, uh, you know, we're so grateful for people to run our projector. Whenever we arrive, there are people to greet us, to welcome us, to make sure we know we're in the right place, to encourage us as we come through the door. There are people serving refreshments before and after our gatherings. There are lots of people involved in looking after our children in Hot Rock and in preschool. They don't just turn up at half past ten and do it. They're preparing during the week and being ready to serve the body. We have musicians. And um, we're really grateful to our musicians, aren't we? But again, musicians, they need to practice. They need to prepare themselves. They need to be ready in the quiet place before they come and bring what they've prepared for us all together on a Sunday morning. There are people who host the gathering. There are people who preach. And there's also a team, sometimes the same team, (laughs) people who pack down and lock up, sometimes between one and half past one on a Sunday morning, faithfully serving the body of Christ. We are already well served, aren't we? I think that um, I think you should know that that as leaders in the church, we are really grateful to everybody who gives up their time, to everybody who serves when it's inconvenient, who serves with a sacrifice, who serves sometimes at, at personal cost. Do you know we have people who are serving? in more than one place. We have people who are serving every single week. We are so grateful. We are really well served. And we want to say thank you. Please hear that today. We want to say thank you. you. And there's a but. (laughs) But if the rule and reign of Jesus is to continue and extend across the earth, and it is because the word of God says so, of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. The rule and reign of Jesus is going to increase across the earth whether we like it or not. We like it. (laughs) And we believe that applies to Market Harbour as well. (laughs) We are always, we are always going to be in need of more people to serve one another. I think the time when we have enough people to serve is the time the church is shrinking. It's not what the word of God says. We are always, by definition, going to need to have people to serve. And it's fair to say right now that we we do actually need more people to serve in every area of church life. We need that to happen in order that we can spread the load. We need that to happen in order to release others to be running in the right lane. Do you know what I mean? Now, release them from serving one area because actually what they can bring over here is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. 
We need to do that in order to practically demonstrate what it is to be family. We need to do it in order to practically demonstrate what it is to be the body of Christ. And here's the other thing. We need to do it to know the blessing of God. That's what he says in John 13. If you do these things, put them into action, you'll be blessed. It's what he says. We need to take that at face value. We've had a request this morning, haven't we, for some help with Munstop over the next couple of Thursday mornings. It would be really great if we could fill that little gap really quickly between us. And I want to bring an encouragement this morning for us to continue to look for ways to serve one another. The thing is, I don't believe that we can effectively serve the town of Market Harbour without first serving one another. I believe this is the starting point. Serving one another is part of the DNA of the church. It's who we are. It's what we do. But we don't want to stop at serving one another. We've got a town we want to serve. We've got a town that we want to hear the wonderful, life-changing news of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sin. Eternal hope. So to consider the way we serve one another as being much the same as when we talk about the body. And if one part of the body is absent, we're not complete. And actually, if we're not serving one another, we're lacking something. If we're coming with an attitude of, I'm going to serve no one, or even if we're coming with a, no, not coming, with a, they won't miss me, because I don't bring anything anyway. I don't believe that's true. The body lacks something when we fail to serve one another. It's almost as if we're saying, you lot can serve yourselves. I believe that. So later this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to make a statement together concerning our commitment to serve one another. Stephen and I, helped by our wives, we would love to serve you this morning we'd love to serve you this morning by washing your feet if you'd like us to we're not pretending to be Jesus today I persuaded Stephen not to strip off (laughs) it was a battle but I believe (laughs) I believe we've won it we're not pretending to be Jesus But we do believe that if you are willing, it will be a powerful, symbolic act of what it is to serve one another. We would like, as elders in this congregation, to demonstrate our love and care for those who we're looking after and caring for here. So there'll be an opportunity later this morning for us to do that. And, you know, it will be a physical response, and sometimes physical responses can really help us. Sometimes things stir in our hearts, which if we don't let out one way or another, can kind of get lost. The physical action almost puts a seal on something that's stirring in our heart. Sometimes when we are worshipping God, it's the reason we might raise our hands or we might get to our knees or we might lie on the floor 
It's because I need to respond. You've really stirred me. <laughs> Lord, I love you. Yeah. Have you been to a concert and the music is stirring and it's something that you know quite well and it's being played fantastically well. It gets better and better and better and your heart is leaping within you as you hear the music play. And at the end, what do we do? We don't do the someone's got a quick sing, quick sing at the crickets kind of clap, do we? It's everyone's out of their chairs. Way! What a fantastic noise that was. We really enjoyed it. We get to our feet. It's a standing ovation. It's a physical response. And you look at crowds anywhere across the, ro uh, across the road, across the world, <laughs> probably across the road as well. If you look at crowds anywhere across the world, this is how crowds respond to something that stirs them, whether it be fantastic music, whether it be a rousing speech. People will rise to their feet and applaud and cheer because they are stirred and the physical response seals something in them. I want to allow ourselves to make a physical response this morning. Excuse me. There's another thing. Jesus says to Peter in verse 8, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And that's we're around the table this morning. That's a reality. That's a truth that we can really take to our hearts. You see, Jesus was talking, actually, about something more than simply the washing of Peter's feet. He is describing the washing or the cleansing of sin. That is a washing from Jesus that we have all known. If we have chosen to trust him as our saviour, to name him as our Lord. Unless I wash you. You will know that it's difficult for somebody to wash you if you don't want to be washed. <laughs> if you're a parent and have ever tried to wash a small child in a bathtub, a slippery small <laughs> child in a bathtub who doesn't want to be washed, you will know how difficult that can be. But this is the invitation of Jesus. Let me wash you. And we need to come to him we need to come to him confessing our sin and believing that his washing is the only cleansing required to make us completely clean. <laughs> when Peter heard that, his response was, well then, not just my feet, but my head, my hands as well. Wash me all over. It was, I want to be washed by Jesus. In, uh, in John's first letter, he says this, if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Oh. Hallelujah. If we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. The washing of Jesus is permanent yes. and complete. Yes. If you have been washed by Jesus, you are clean. Yes. And I want to say to us today as well, let's not belittle the work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, by adding things that we think are needed for our salvation. If we've been washed by Jesus, we have been washed by Jesus. That is what the word says. 
you'll remember us looking at the start of this year in the book of Romans, I hope you remember that far back, about how people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood, Romans 3. About how our old selves are dead and a new life has come. About how there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're dead to the power of sin. We're alive to the Holy Spirit by letting him control our minds. The witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives causes us to recognise God as our Father and affirms to us that we are indeed his dearly loved children. If we know Jesus as our Saviour, if he has washed us clean, then know today that we are God's dearly loved children. How he loves us. This is who we are. God says so. And therefore we can be around this table together with great confidence. Great confidence and great joy. You know, when we come to break bread on an occasion like this, we're not gathering to remember someone who has died and it was all very sad. And that was the end. We're gathering to remember someone who died. Who died the ugliest death possible. Because he loves us so much. But that wasn't the end. He defeated death. He rose again. Let me read the rest of the passage we didn't read earlier. It's gone. Here it is. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We break bread here together this morning to the glory of God the Father. We're going to break bread now. We're going to serve across our rows and wait till everyone is served before we take together. But I thought it would be really great if a couple of people want to come and give thanks, use the microphone at the front for the bread and for the wine as we take it together. Because we're a body. Yeah? So as I break the bread, perhaps somebody could, could step forward and, uh, and give thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.